bitch lost. Sports news that time. You know Chris said, who got you taking all the shots? Tell me like who got traded, who did not, and what's the latest? Well, let's debate. Just trust the process. You know we got this in-depth analysis. Who's the bad? Yes, right here behind the line. No foul, there's no crime. Like and one, go for two, three, pull and drop to the hoop. We cover it all inside the park. The newest stud up from the bar. It's deeper stars. DTB, you're tuned into the best you'll see. Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts podcast, episode number 16. I'm Chris Forbordell, joined as always by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, giant, giant day in the NFL today. We have uh, the beginning of the legal tampering period, which is, you know, ridiculous. Yeah. But, Isn't that, yeah. Uh, it's ridiculous. Internal hypocriticism, yeah. There is a giant degree of hypocrisy that goes along with the term legal tampering. But, you know, the NFL sort of had to do it because in the past years we've had teams announce, basically announcing deals prior to the start of free agency, which is was super against the rules. Uh, so now these same teams are at least good enough to not announce these same deals, which I'm sure a lot of them already have prior to the start of the legal tampering period. Yes, indeed. It, this is kind of like that 16-day NBA thing, right? Or I don't know if it's 16 anymore. Maybe it's only a week, but... I remember that first day, especially back in the early LeBron free agency period where um, everyone could start banging on his door and hosting these elaborate conferences with him um, and Pat Riley throwing his rings on the table. It feels a little bit like that to me. Yeah, a lot of things being thrown on the table for sure. Um, I don't know. It, it's just a weird – it's a weird setup. Why not Why not just start free agency? Who cares? Let's let people start yeah. making deals. Why the as, as far as what I'm, is the reasoning? Well, it's the start of the league year is is March 9th. but I don't know why not why not just kick the league, the new league year off the day after the Super Bowl? Let's just go crazy, make the NFL the 365 day a year you know, event that it strives to be anyway. Oh no, they I mean this is you know they've they've studied this and they know that the right amount of time has mm-hmm. elapsed between the Super Bowl and then the Senior Bowl and the Combine. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they start the league year so close to the Combine. They could have extrapolated, they could have uh, maximized these couple days in post-Combine coverage and then rolled into the, the league year on March 9th and, and started, and then just ignored the legal. That's what I'm wondering. Why is there even a legal tampering period? Why not just kick it all off March 9th? I mean, who cares? But yeah, I is mean, it because teams are meeting with players over the combine? Is that like the significant reason? You know, that, that's certainly entirely possible. And I, I think there just has to be, I don't know, I guess this is this is sort of, you know, instituted to to eliminate the the look of improprieties by teams. Because, you know, like we've said, this this is here because in past years, teams were announcing deals before the league year started, before they were allowed to be talking to these players. I don't know. I guess yeah. There obviously has to be a start somewhere, so teams are obviously going to try and get a start before that start because everybody wants a competitive leg up, and this is just basically the NFL's concession to that, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes sense. You know they're all doing the back road and, you know, figuring oh, yeah. out what who's interested and whatever, if not talking directly. So, um, yeah, like, this just it just seems like a turn of phrase, you know, like a formality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk about uh, one thing pre, you know, free agency. 
Chad Greenway retired. Chad Greenway, one of the great consistent linebackers in the NFL over the last decade, obviously hasn't been quite the same player the last three years. But in his prime, one of the top, top players at his position and one of the more classy people playing football today, um, well, came into the league in 2007, played, what, mm-hmm. 11 years? Unbelievable career. Is is Greenway a guy who's got any chance at all of uh, getting to Canton down the road? Uh, only if he's attending for Adrian Peterson's production. <laughs> I, I don't see that happening, but... Uh, as someone who's a fan of a team that played him twice a year routinely, I can say that uh, Chad Greenway was rock solid, man. Like, I mean, he, I don't know if unbelievable is the word, but definitely like a a player that you had to be concerned with, even when the Vikings defense was pretty poor in the pre-Zimmer era. Um, you know, he, he, he was a real, someone you definitely have to game plan around and for. And, um, you know, I, I mean, the Vikings will miss that. Oh, I'm sure they already, you know, they've they've kind of bridged the gap since then. They've got a quality defense now, but um, you know, definitely, I agree with your sentiments. It's really solid player, and um, yeah, you'll be you'll be missed in a tough hole to fill overall. We're talking about a ten year career, and at his peak from 2010 to 2012, almost uh, averaged almost 150 tackles a year. That's a, that's a crazy Oof. crazy number. I guess the knock with Greenway is he never really he never really made the splash plays, never had more yeah. than five and a half sacks in a year, never had more than three interceptions in a year. But I think one of the most impressive things was his consistency um, over 10 years and uh, 100 and, 160 possible games. This guy played 156 of them. Yeah, very, very A.J. Hawk-esque is someone who, a similar type of player, I believe, in the same draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, uh, yeah, like another guy that just was constantly available, you know, the best abilities, availability or whatever mm-hmm. that they always say. And uh, when you start that high up a percentage of games in the NFL at middle inside linebacker, that's uh, that's a real thing. And he was he anchored that defense for a long, long time for them. So we have uh, we're not going to talk about everybody who's been released, but first we have Brandon Marshall and Tory Smith joining a, an ever increasingly crowded market of free agent wide receivers. You know, Marshall's obviously better than Smith at this point, but is this just becoming oversaturated? There is a lot of veteran wide receivers, a lot of veteran running backs available this year. Yeah, and a lot of money to be thrown around, which is why these guys are still going to get paid a, a decent amount. And especially the guys that have been cut, who have no – this has become kind of a running team for us, but they have no comp pick associated with them. Mm-hmm. So um, that makes them that much more attractive compared to a guy like – I'm not sure if Andre Holmes was cut or if he was out there already, but you know there are there are receivers out there that will affect the comp pick formula, and these two guys, among others, won't be – um, and I think that that means that, I mean, Brandon, Mar- they're very different. Like Brandon Marshall obviously has his own um, crosses to bear as far as attitude and locker room questions and some questionable decisions or um, actions off the field that you'll have to deal with. Um, but, you know, obviously his ability sort of speaks for itself. And then Torrey Smith is a guy that we've never really unlocked. And mm-hmm. um, one of these teams, he's still pretty young. One of these teams is thinking maybe if we can get that 4-4 four, four speed um, on our outside, that's that's a, a risk that we're willing to take. So it's going to be really interesting. I think the market for Torrey Smith is one to really watch. Brandon Marshall fits very narrowly into certain um, certain teams' locker rooms and yeah. uh, and personnel. 
We actually had an article about this uh, written by one of our new NFL columnists this week. But I think Brandon Marshall makes a lot of sense with a team like New England. Yeah, I mean, there's there's only a handful. There are only a handful of teams that can really afford to um, to put him on their roster and have it not be a risk at all as far as his locker room antics potentially. I'm not. I'm saying locker room, but you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's locker room or you know, it's just a variety of. It's it's a risk. Um, and the Patriots are the type of team that can afford to roll the dice on that risk. There aren't many, though, and the Jets were one of them that couldn't. The Bears couldn't. The Dolphins couldn't. And the Broncos couldn't. So we'll see if the Patriots do it. But we know that Bill Belichick will have no hesitation to throw him back out on the street if he's if he doesn't fit in that, that way. certainly true. And you know, also, I believe that because they're cut, those guys are free to sign right now rather than wait till uh, March 9th. Yep. That's correct. Those two, there, there are a couple other. Jamal Charles is free to sign whenever as well. Anyone that's been cut, I believe, yeah, you're right. They, they can sign any time. Another cut today, the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers released long-time, uh, long-time consistent safety Antoine Bethea. Bethea, 95 tackles last year for the 49ers, playing in 16 games. Only one interception and uh, only one forced fumble, but this is still a solid safety. Yeah, solid kind of rotational safety or maybe a final piece maybe or um, someone that you use to help bring up a raw safety potentially. But, I mean, the reality is that that guy got – Bethea got 95 tackles deep in the 49ers secondary. Yeah. (laughs) Players are running free down the middle repeatedly on them. So I wouldn't look too much into that. Um, Never been a huge playmaker. At least I don't think of him that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, he's definitely a – useful piece as far as just a chip and a special teamer that you could potentially bring onto a contender and we've got a trio of people cut by the chargers recently uh former first round pick dj fluker released playing uh, guard for the chargers wide receiver stevie johnson and um and free agent bust signing brandon flowers any are you surprised by any of those i was a little surprised by fluker just because you know first round picks generally don't get bailed on so mm. easily i know it's not so easily obviously i mean he's and the one common between him and stevie johnson obviously is a, a litany of injuries but um and it also seemed like stevie johnson was developing a nice little rapport with phil rivers while he was healthy yeah so um that i was a little surprised with i can't imagine he cost them too much but um you know i mean i don't are the chargers are the is the Los Angeles Chargers, that's weird to say, are the Los Angeles Chargers prepping themselves for a big run at some other free agent, some way to shore up their defense or maybe grab another weapon for for Rivers? That's entirely possible. Fluker's a guy, though, who is, he's entirely living on that status of being a former first-round pick. He wasn't good enough to play tackle. He played him at guard. Uh, PFF had him as the number 54 guard in football last year. So he's a guy. How many games did he play? He, uh, DJ Fluker played in a uh, good question. I'm not sure. It looks like he played in every game last year. Wow. Huh. That's surprising. I mean, he must have really not been good then because I, Fluker's history to me, I, I think of him as an injury prone player, mm. but, um, you know, they're paying Melvin Ingram a ton now that they franchise them. And, uh, you know, maybe this is their way of justifying that expenditure in addition to any others that they'll have in the future. I'm, I was surprised about Fluker, but, I might just be out of town stupid on that one, to be honest. Yeah, assuming that these snap counts totals are from the 2016 season, then DJ Fluker did play in every game last season, although for some reason only took 
38 snaps in week three. I don't know if that was just a weird anomaly where where they had a very low snap number or what on offense. So, yeah, I don't know. He's He strikes me as a guy, though. He's There's nothing special about DJ Fluker. He was, the yeah, size is special. The size and strength, great. But, it, I mean, who is the uh, – Paella, Stephen Paella has got the all-time record yeah. combine for the bench press, and what is that? He's just been journeyman defensive lineman on one team after another. There's, I don't see a real correlation between having size and being good. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but, you know, I think Ted Thompson always likes to say, God only made so many people that big and that strong. So, um, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously technique is an issue for Fluker if they caught him like that. So, uh, we'll have to see. I, I mean, I would be shocked if he didn't get land somewhere, at least on a trial basis. Yeah, look at the difference between an absolute freak of nature physically like DJ Fluker and, you know, arguably the best guard in professional football right now in Marshall, Yonda. Yonda comes into the NFL, and Yonda, by the way, very much someone who I think this is a Green Bay Packers kind of player, so take that as Ooh. take that as a compliment there. But but this is a guy, he comes into the NFL, he's, you know, 6'2 and 3 quarters, something like that. You know, he's right around 300 pounds. Very, very average for an offensive guard, and just because of his technique and his work ethic, he is, I would say, fairly heads above anyone else at that position in, in football right now. Yeah, and that's, I, I mean, that's the real task, and it kind of relates to the combine, is how you're able to identify these players and ignore some of the, friend, this is how we ended the show last week, but how do you account for the numbers that they post in terms of athleticism at the combine mm-hmm. and, and, you know, reconcile that with their makeup. I mean, how do you, it's, it's a really tricky task and that's what these guys, these personnel men are, are charged with. And I, I don't envy them. I'm not sure how, you know, especially at a position like offensive line where, you know, and especially the interior, mm-hmm. how you're able to know who's going to have that drive and who isn't two years into their deal. Yeah, can I tell you that's always been something of a blind spot for me too in terms of scouting players. I'm just I, I'm not good at evaluating interior offensive linemen. Yeah, I mean it's first of all it's really hard to watch. Yes, like, you've got to really love it. And second of all, it's it's tough because like you don't necessarily know what their task is on every play. I mean they might need to block down towards the what, what gap are they tasked with? What you know what. Are they supposed to swing? Are they supposed to let, I mean, allow for potentially, are they supposed to pick up a blitz or are they supposed to call out blitzes before the snap? I mean, they're, it's a really complicated and at the same time seemingly simple position mm-hmm. and all the same kind of boring to watch. So it's like, I agree completely. That's just one that I, I trust the, uh, the, one, the teams that know what they seem to know what they're doing and just sort of follow their, their plans. Yeah, one of my one of the nightmares that I have from the my time at NFL Draft Blitz was was trying to do scouting reports for interior offensive linemen. And I remember very specifically, I'm sitting upstairs watching a Louisville something game one year, and there was this this giant Louisville uh, offensive guard, and I'm watching play in play out, pausing in slow motion to see how quickly this guy gets off the line all the time wondering what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> and also wondering if he, when you say get off the ball, like how far is he supposed to set? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's 
so much involved with evaluating them in terms of just unless you're in it, you have no idea. And so that that's why I like the PFF stuff. I I struggle with the grades for the interior and and I love PFF yeah. generally, but that's one that I I mean it's just impossible to know without talking to an offensive line coach what the player's duty is on that specific play. Yeah, they were always a big fan of Evan Mathis when he was with Philadelphia. He, they always had him in the top five offensive guards, and that's not like that's one of those things that doesn't match the eye test. Like, I, I've never, I don't look at this guy and think, oh, this is a dominant offensive lineman. You think, oh yeah, this is a solid, consistent player, much like a lot of the people on that team were at that point on the offensive line. But you know, this isn't a guy you build your you build your offensive line around. So you're right. It's it's weird. It seems kind of. Kind of arbitrary. like people, people are just throwing stuff at the wall and deciding this guy's good, this guy isn't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, as someone who's seen the PFF stuff, I, I can tell you that um, at least, like, it depends. A, it's a very subjective. I mean, they try yeah. to make it objective, but the reality is that, you know, it's, it's in the eye of the beholder, kind of. And, mm-hmm. and another thing is, another aspect of it is, uh, you know, you're automatically inclined to reward splash plays and, um, and penalize negative splash plays, you know, where it looks like the guy's giving up a sack. And so, and that's, that's how it worked at least several years ago with PFF grading. I don't know if they've refined their, their testing or their scoring methods, but that's just when you guys are list, out there listening and, or anyone listening, if you, if you read the PFS up, keep in mind that, you know, maybe Evan Mathis pancakes a guy and he gets a plus one for a play, but you know, that's not always us. I mean, that's great in that play, but it doesn't take into account some of the negative, negatives if he misses a gap assignment or something along those lines it's, it's just something to consider that's absolutely true so in uh, very close to home for me as a as a philadelphia eagles fan adam smith's reporting that kenny Britt's out in atlantic city right now and he's basically telling anybody that'll listen that he's agreed to a turn a uh, new contract with the philadelphia <laughs> eagles i don't i don't know oh, how yeah I feel what's your about thought this. what are your thoughts yeah. Uh, I can't be worse than Nelson Aguilar is my my initial thought. Look, <laughs> Kenny Britt's going to be 29 by the time the season starts next year, out, a couple weeks into the season next year. Had a good season in a, with a dysfunctional Rams team last year. Again, seems weird to say Los Angeles Rams. But yeah, you know, 60, what, 68 catches, broke 1,000 yards. You know, Pretty the, good. Yeah, yeah, and playing with, playing with absolute garbage at quarterback – Caught yeah. the ball when it was thrown to him, so that's that's a giant step in the right direction for <laughs> for any potential Pretty Philadelphia Eagle wide receiver. It's all going to come down to and one if it's even true, it's all going to come down to what's the contract. This is this Eagles team, much like I'm sure every other team in the NFL. I'm sure your favorite team, whoever you are, has been linked to a number of big time players over the last two days. No, uh, not mine. So no, anybody no. else is yes, not the Packers. <laughs> uh, you know, Philly's been linked. I know, the royal you. Philly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Philly's been linked to the Alshon Jeffries and the A.J. Boye and, and Terrell Pryor. And by the way, I that if there's ever been a signing I didn't want to happen for my own personal well-being, it would be the Eagle signing Terrell Pryor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a, a real negative in my world, that's, but – that's a civil war in the household. Yeah, it is. But you know, you know, if if the Brit thing's real, I'm I'm happy with it. He catches the football. He's still relatively young. By all accounts, he's a very very good teammate and locker room guy at this point in his career. And uh, 
I've read some Rams fans say that the increased consistency was him making an you know a real real overt effort to to try and carry this team so to out of the losing ways and to to improve his consistency and his work ethic and if all of those things are true great I'd love to have that sort of player with the team if it's a if it's more than six or seven million dollars a year I probably have a problem with it given sure. the sheer number of wide receivers that are available I mean if it look if it's if it's 218 or something like that that's that's one thing but you know if we're talking about a four-year deal where you're the guy's making eight plus I have a hard time with it yeah, uh, I, I can't know. imagine it's that short. I mean, no, I, I agree with it, you. It might be that guaranteed money. That might be what it is guaranteed. But you know, I, I'm, I think it's a nice little signing, and I, I can't imagine it being too expensive. It's not even like relative to Terrell Pryor and some of these other guys that you said, even Deshaun Jackson. Mm. But what I'm really interested in is what this means as far as I mean, look, the Eagles have been linked with every receiver out mm. there, like you said, Jaffrey. You didn't mention Jackson Pryor said um you know and there's been conversations or rumors that they might be uh dangling jordan matthews out there as it for trade bait i i mean i'm interested to know what you think this means and obviously they've been linked with all these draft guys i mean everyone thinks that john ross is going to be an eagle so um i i'm interested to know or hear what you think this means if, if it does mean anything as far as future moves with their wide receiver core or possibly a part of their wide receiver core in the future i really don't think it means anything to be honest with you i've heard the jordan matthews stuff too that you know he's available in the right deal this is a guy who's gonna have to get signed a new contract after the 2017 season and could very well be overpaid given you know his actual play rather than what his numbers look like i don't think this means anything now if they go out and they make another move with another free agent receiver, then yeah, Jordan Matthews is probably not going to be long with the Philadelphia Eagles. But I'm very surprised that, that this is, and again, this is all conditional upon if it's true, it very well may not be. But if it is true, I'm surprised that they would go wide receiver in free agency because I thought that they would look more to the defensive side of the ball to patch uh, in free agency to patch holes and then look to add young playmakers to grow alongside Carson Wentz through the draft. Now, it's also worth pointing out that the cornerback class is very, very, very deep, so you can potentially add a quality and potential starting corner in the second round. Oh, yeah. Maybe the third round, even. Yeah, it's loaded. This is it's one piece of a puzzle. I think Jordan Matthews is certainly available if the right deal were to come along. I, I can guarantee you Chase Daniel is available if the right deal were to come along. And for as crazy as it sounds... His seven million dollars a year, or whatever the contract is, might look like it's a bargain. It's kind of good. Yeah, that yeah. might that might look like a bargain in, in a couple of days because all reports are today that Mike Glennon's getting pretty close to something with the Bears, and it might be worth fifteen million dollars a year. <laughs> and the sad thing about that is that's I mean that seems crazy to us, but the going rate for quarterbacks, like if you think of the worst quarterbacks, that's still less than them. And the worst starting quarterback deal. So it's not like, holy shit, you know, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, Mike Lennon's getting paid like an absolute ton of money. I mean, it is, but it's also like, if they, you know, 
it's less than what Brock Osweiler got last year, right? It so, is, it, but is is that a I mean, is that? I don't know that I can I know, hang my hat on I that. I mean, that's a worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, but um, and it's a terrible if if it's true. Like, we need to pump the brakes on all these because none of the, all of them are sort of. They we're just talking rumors here. Of course. None of them have actually been um, agreed upon. If that is the case, that's it's obviously not ideal, but it is the price of playing poker as far as getting a starting quarterback in free agency. You know, like that's what they expect to get. Yeah, I just I don't I've never got the Mike Glennon hype. Uh, this is, I mean, hey, look, if, yeah. you, if you take last year and you extrapolate it moving forward and his 90% completion percentage and his 9.1% touchdown percentage along with no interceptions, that's a great quarterback. If you look at any other part of this guy's career, he's a sub-60% completion percentage guy. And I know the argument is, oh, he's really improved over the last two years by not playing. But, yeah, ah, man, I don't know. This is Brock Osweiler-esque, like you said. It's not quite the money that Brock's going to get, but this could be every bit the anchor for the Bears as the Osweiler contract is for the Texans. And, I, you know, it's just like – the optics of it, the, just looking at Glennon, he reminds you so much of the whole Osweiler thing. It yeah. just reeks of Osweiler. And, you, I, I mean, I'm pretty surprised that the Bears are even going down this road. But, man, eh, I don't know. I, I, like, I can't believe that they would actually do something like this rather than spend, you know, like, like you say. I mean, if you compare it, I think it's really the better comp is Chase Daniel. Because mm. when they signed Chase Daniel – it wasn't to be their backup. I mean, maybe they knew all along they were going to draft Carson Wentz, but if that that's the comp I would have. So if that's what it is, then, you know, we should be talking about Mike Glennon around $8 million, right? Well, I mean, Chase Daniel has done a heck of a lot more in the NFL than Mike Glennon has. Yeah, that, that's he was around scary, That's the scary part. Like, this is a guy with a 65% completion percentage over his career. Now, granted, you know, he's... Neither uh, of them uh, have played enough. No, I agree, but there's a, a larger history of Chase Daniel than there is Mike Glennon. Well, we're going to throw the, the early Mike Glennon stuff out when he was just thrown onto the field far too early and wasn't even close to being ready for it. when he, uh, he's, I think he started 13 games or something as a rookie and was just dreadful. But... Yeah. Uh, this, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it. Uh, I, if, look... If my options are Mike Glennon at $15 million a year, or where do the Bears pick? What is it, five? Something? Three. Three. Okay, three. There you go. I'll, I'll happily take, and I mean this, and you know how little I think of this quarterback class. <laughs> I will take either of the top three quarterbacks and pay them peanuts and just waste the first yeah. round pick on that rather than have this guy – on a let's call it four-year, sixty million dollar contract. Well, the benefit of getting Glennon is it gives you leverage in other ways. I mean, it doesn't make you super desperate for quarterback doesn't to draft. It, it, it gives them it. I mean, it, well, not right away at least. It gives you like we've talked ad nauseum about how next year's quarterback class is incredible. Yeah. I don't know what Glennon's going to get guaranteed beyond the year for two years, but assuming that it's not a ton after this year. They front load that thing. And this, these are all huge assumptions, starting with the fact that he's even assigned there. But, um, you know, then this gives them a chance to draft the best player at three, which is almost objectively not going to be a quarterback. Mm. And um, it also.
also gives, I mean, it gives John Fox a chance to win more than five games this year, probably, maybe, I think. And then, you know, and then they can either buy their, either they can draft a developmental type quarterback in the second or third round this year, or, you know, or they can draft one in the first next year when all those great quarterbacks come out. So uh, I think it gives them options, if nothing else. But I, I don't know that a $14 million player is worth you know, just keeping your options just as a door opener. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I, trust me, I'm with you. And I also think that the bears aren't really sure of what they're doing right now. They're definitely caught in the middle between attempting to compete and not, and I I don't really get it. So this signing would just be the next step in that whole deal. Well, let me ask you this. Is it possible this is a chess move? for the bears that we're going to float all of this out there. You know, we love Mike Glennon. Can't wait to have him on the team. $15 million is a bargain for what this guy is going to be for this team. When they're talking to new England about potentially trading for Garoppolo. Oh man. Well, the latest rumor first, they're obviously, you know, the rumors are all out there. Adam Schefter saying they will not trade him. And the rumor mm-hmm. comes out today that they're asking for a first this year and a first next year. Mm-hmm. Bears pick a three. I can't, I I mean, uh, man, would you trade the three and change for Garoppolo? Well, any look, a lot of people ask for a lot of things. We're going to talk about a lot of a lot of asking <laughs> prices over the next you know yeah. half hour or so, and they're all ridiculous. And very very few people are going to get them. There has to be a starting point in any negotiation. So, you know, saying I want two first round picks and you know settling for settling for the number three pick in the draft. Yeah, that's a uh, that's I can't even believe they'd only get the three. I, I can't uh, believe the Bears would even offer the three for him. Well, when, again, wouldn't you rather have wouldn't you rather have Garoppolo than Mike Glennon? I would. Is Garoppolo, yeah, but is Garoppolo I, plus whoever you question. get the three worth not having Mike Glennon? I would say I'd rather have Glennon and the number three pick than Garoppolo. Well, what's who's the number three pick at you if you're the Bears right now? Well, if it's Garrett's gone, obviously, and then. You know, you basically get your pick of Jonathan Allen, uh, one of the safeties, one of the corners, one of the receivers. Like, say it's Jamal Adams. That's I would much rather have Glennon Adams and then take your pick at quarterback next year. Glennon, Solomon Thomas, somebody like that. Thomas? I don't know. I just think Glennon is such a net negative. He's, I mean, we don't know. That's the truth. We don't know. I mean, he probably is. Yes, he's probably, at best, he's average. Um, At worst, he's a complete net negative and a waste of what fifteen million dollars. Mm-hmm. More heck so, of a lot more than that with the guaranteed money that he's gonna get, being the arguably the top quarterback of the year. Yeah. Fifteen million a year. That's uh, you're also gonna pay Garoppolo. So just assume that Absolutely. the money is basically a wash. Mm-hmm. So it's basically Glennon in the three or Garoppolo, like in terms of I mean Okay, let's let's that. play this game. Let's play this game right now. What percentage chance do you give Mike Glennon on being a league average or better quarterback? Oh boy! <laughs> so the sixteen we we've done the the sixteen or like the tiering of the quarterback. Yes. Um, I oh boy, what percentage? Twenty? Fifteen percent? Okay, fifteen. Let's say a fifteen percent chance of being league average. What percent chance do you give Mike Glennon of being a quality starting quarterback? Oh, God. Uh, between 5 and 10. Okay, between 5 and 10. What percentage chance do you give Jimmy Garoppolo of being a league average starting quarterback? Um, I think that's about 
50, 50, 50 to me. Okay. I, I don't, and what percentage? I'm not sold. You, you are more than I am. Okay. I'm, I'm happy with how this is going so far. And, and what percentage chance of being an above average quality starting quarterback? Like a Super Bowl caliber quarterback? I'm just saying the same exact thing as I asked you with Glennon. Above average, you know, a quality starting quarterback. Somebody who gives you a chance. Probably 30, 25%, 25% to 30%. Okay, so is that additional 25% chance of having a very good quarterback worth the number three pick in the draft to you? No. See, it is to me, especially nah. when you're talking about somebody like Glennon, because you're, I mean, the numbers that you gave me essentially say you think there's no chance Mike Glennon is a good quarterback. If you're, but, tell, if you're telling me that that's the case, and I can have a 50% chance my guy's at least good and a 30% chance that he's very good, yeah, I'm willing to trade that. I'm willing to trade the number three but, pick in the draft for that because quarterback is the most valuable position in sports. Even, first of all, Garoppolo is still a huge risk, though. Like, sure. those are my numbers, but I I give those same numbers. I would ascribe the same numbers to the quarterbacks coming out next year, though. Like, I would I would say that, you know, someone like Sam Darnold is, is no worse. I mean, certainly a little worse because we've seen Garoppolo do it at some level. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, not necessarily a huge difference between those two as far as, like, who is more likely to be an elite-level quarterback or who's more likely to be average. Well, no, put it this way. Garoppolo's definitely got a much better chance of being league average, but I don't know that he's significantly above one of those quarterbacks next year as far as, like, will he be a top, top quarterback. Does that make sense? I'm, I understand, but, you know, every single so year... So if you have to sacrifice your chance at one of those guys, now it's... I don't know, man. I, I don't know that that's that's a lot to give up. That's Look, too, I'm not. For, you know. First of all, let me just say that under no circumstances am I giving up a 2018 first round pick. I'm just not going to do it. Okay. Especially if okay. you're giving up the number three pick in the draft. If I'm the Bears and the Patriots come calling, first of all, I think the three might be an overpay for Garoppolo in itself. But I agree the, with the that. The most I'm willing to do in addition to that is a conditional pick. You know, it's got to be a three, and let's mm-hmm. let's call it a. Let, I mean, I mean, uh, the number three, and let's call it a four next year that can turn into a two. Oh, that's still so much. It is, but if, but if, you know, it's only turning into a two if those conditions are met, and if this, those conditions are met, then you have a starting quarterback, and if you have a starting quarterback, then it's worth it. So if if we all go around this circle here, it, that kind of makes sense. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I I don't agree. I don't. I think that the risk calculus. Um, on him Garoppolo potentially being that quarterback is maybe a little bit like I think there's a very good chance he's just slightly above league average like I don't know that he's ever going to be better than Kirk Cousins basically and that to me is Kirk Cousins is league average I think Kirk Cousins is well better than league average okay so you would trade a first and a second if you're if you're the uh if you're the Bears you trade the number three and next year's second for Kirk Cousins well let's move on to our next topic Oh. Mike Silver of the NFL Network says that more than likely Kirk Cousins is going to land with the San Francisco 49ers. And that number yeah, two pick that number two pick is certainly going to be in play. Yeah, that um wow. Really? So just the do you think it would be the two straight So this is this is a really good comp then. Yes. Yes. Would yes. it the two four cousins? Or I mean I, I don't know, but I can tell you Kirk Cousins threw for almost five thousand yards last year, and uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo threw for uh, you know almost a thousand. And what 
Cousins has to be three years older than Garoppolo, two years old, at least three years older, I think. Uh, let's find out. Garoppolo is 25 years old. Kirk Cousins is... 27, at least. Is he 27? Kirk Cousins is 28 years old, so three years, yeah. But 28 is 28's fine. You know, that's a, that's a quarterback in his prime, and he's still got a good yeah. amount of his prime left. That's 12 years left. Oh, what, 10 years left, hopefully, you're hoping. Um, I put it this way. I would rather give up the two for Cousins than the three and whatever for Garoppolo. And... I, oof, boy, I wonder what that is, though. So you're saying Silver said the two has been discussed. It's not like we don't know what that means, though, right? We don't know if it's the two for Cousins and a third rounder or what. That's that's true. We don't we are not privy to the specifics of the deal. But, <laughs> but you know, and this is San Francisco looking to make a splash right away. Obviously, you add a, I love you, it. You add a quarterback like Kirk Cousins, and you know you're you're one step closer to being a quality football team. And granted, this is a team. <laughs> interestingly, it's going to put the, the the San Francisco 49ers in a position that the Washington Redskins were in when they drafted Kirk Cousins. In that they're going to have to sacrifice so many assets on a team that needs so many players that they put themselves mm-hmm. at a disadvantage in filling those positions. But but you have the guy. No, but- like if you have exactly. if you have your starting quarterback, that is a that is a big thing. And there's a here's a big big difference because and I, I talked to my buddies at Bearsan about the Glennon thing earlier today and and possibly drafting a quarterback or whatever this year, and and this is a huge factor. It's the coach that you're coming into. So mm-hmm. I have very very little faith that the Bears with Dow Loggins as their offensive coordinator can help cultivate whatever quarterback that they get, whether it's Garoppolo, who still needs development, obviously, mm-hmm. or whatever rookie it would be. You put Kirk Cousins with Kyle Shanahan, I I would have as much confidence as you can possibly have for a guy going from one situation to another that that would succeed. So especially given a total dearth of talent around them, and look, it might not work for a year, but that I would have full faith that that money, maybe not full, but very as good as you can have faith that that is going to work out. So – you know, I, I that is a huge factor to me that like that I don't think that the, I'm not totally trusting the Bears to be the team to trade the three pick, get Garoppolo, and then make him the quarterback that he can ultimately be. Whereas that percentage of Garoppolo potentially being good goes up skyrockets under Belichick and McDaniel's and all of that. I couldn't agree with you more. I I absolutely could not agree with you more. And of all of those people, Kirk Cousins is obviously the the quarterback in that group that you that you want to have. He's certainly the, the safest play in when you're talking about the Garoppolo's, the Mike Glennons, and so forth in the world. I don't know. Is is the two too much, though? Uh, yeah. I, oh, man. <laughs> Maybe not. Just because, and I, I go back to just because of Kyle Shanahan, I think that, that those two together are, that's a major, major situ- factor for me that, like I said, like, I, I mean, I think that he brings out the absolute most in Cousins. This is a guy, Kyle Shanahan, who we said literally got on top of a table in the draft room, allegedly, in Washington yeah. and demanded that they take him in a year where they already had RG3 under their um, – they already had him drafted. So, you know, I, I think that that is the ultimate perfect situation. And, and so maybe in that situation I do the two straight up for Cousins. I, I, I You know, maybe I would, yeah. That's uh, – that puts – it puts Washington in such a weird situation. And first of all, I like it because it removes Washington as a threat in the NFC East for, you know, 
at least three years as they hey, they believe the in, they believe in cold they believe in cold yeah i don't think that's true i, I don't think that's true <laughs> All right, yeah, but we have major uh, leverage play. Exactly. Exactly. We, look, Colt McCoy's here. If you want to go, go. We're happy. <laughs> uh, plenty more to talk about. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk the Packers and uh, the mutual interest with free agent cornerback and former Packer Devin House. <laughs> yeah, there's not much there. I mean, like he's there's a very good chance they signed him. A, he's not part of the comp pick formula mm-hmm. since they got cut. He got cut by Jacksonville. B, he's a former Thompson guy, and Thompson says he loves his own players. He's, he literally said it last week. It was the only interesting thing he said at the Combine the last three years, probably. And C, they have a huge need there. So, I mean, it, all the pieces are in place for this to happen, and I would almost expect it to at this point. What does it mean for the, what does it mean for the Packers, a team that's, that secondary has been you know, a little inconsistent? Um, you know, it's just another, it's an, it's a proven warm body and they need it. They need it. Honestly, they have, they just flat out don't have players right now. They're, they're struggling. They, especially a corner, um, they, you know, they spent their first two picks two years ago on, uh, Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, mm. and both have proven not to be the players they were as rookies. Um, I, I expect them both to bounce back, but right now with Sam Shields gone, um, after they cut him because of, neck-related injuries and other issues that they were having with them off the field. Um, you know, they, they really don't have a guy for the first time since pre-Al Harris, where they, they really don't have a, a corner, a number one corner de facto. And so um, I would expect them to add another corner in free agency, but not a great one. But, you know, the the bargain basement special that they always have. Mm-hmm. And then I would expect them to draft at least two in the first two, in the first four rounds. Um, and, and they will have a free-for-all at the corner position next year. Well, given that the Eagles' starting cornerbacks right now, I believe, are Jalen Mills and Ron Brooks, I'll take your situation. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know. Did you watch the Falcons game? I'll take your <laughs> situation. <laughs> no question. Yeah. So do you think the Eagles go corner or receiver? In the first, like, if, if you had the, the same level player at those two positions – in the first round, do you think they go corner or receiver? Well, I don't, uh, I don't know, because I think that corner, that corner is probably you know Humphrey or or Sidney Jones. So, yeah, say Humphrey's gone. Say Humphrey. All right, so it's Sidney Jones. I don't think Sidney Jones is as good a cornerback as somebody like Mike Davis or I mean uh, Mike Williams or Corey Davis. I would put all three of the corner, the top three wide receivers as better players at their position than Sidney Jones is mm-hmm. at cornerback. So mm-hmm. you're taking a lesser player. Uh, again, I guess it's a slightly larger area of need, although both are certainly areas of need. Mm-hmm. Uh, given the, I mean, wide receiver is pretty deep too, but given the depth of cornerback, I, I wait till the second round to take the corner. Okay. That's interesting. I, uh, I, I agree again, what you said about depth at corner, I feel like there's a better chance they could get a, an impact corner in the second than an impact receiver. I shouldn't say impact. Like, they'll receivers in the second round are still generally pretty good, and, yeah. and some of this also depends on Kenny Britt. But if you could get a guy like, I don't know, the kid from LSU in the second round or Tease Tavor if he's there in the second round, I'm not sure if he would be. That's, but that's where that I would be. went immediately was Tavor. Because uh, yeah, it's such, such a bad combine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's one of those where 
I don't think that tells the true story of his tape. So um, I feel like I would go with if Williams or Davis was there. If Davis was there for sure, I would say he's he's a he's a, a run up to the board and take him. Well, guy we disagree because you know I like Williams more than uh, than Davis. You like right, Davis more than right, Williams. Right. So so we will find out. Yeah, but you right, have you have Jordan hard. Matthews disease. That's the problem. Oh, that's certainly true. Although you know, if either one of them. <laughs> Either one of them turned into an 80-catch-a-year receiver. It's hard to complain about, especially if they're second-round picks. But uh, Oh, I don't see that. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, neither is going to be second-round picks. Don't get, I just mean Matthews was a second-round uh, second pick. Oh, He's yeah, yeah, 80 yeah. catches a year. No, obviously neither one of them are second-round picks, barring some sort of weird Laramie Tonsil-esque <laughs> happening prior <laughs> to the draft. Um, yeah. I don't know. I I think I think Tabor is is really getting slept on right now because he ran poorly and you know there's another guy who ran really poorly uh, coming out of Florida and uh, while he's had some injury problems Joe Hayden's gone on to had a pre- have a pretty good career so mm-hmm. the forty times not the end of the world yeah I I mean could not agree with you more actually it's weird because you would think that the forty time matters a lot for corners, but it's been proven that it really isn't a huge deal for them. I mean, it's much more about the length of the three cone for those mm. positions in the vert. So um, that's, it's, it's an interesting situation because I think you automatically look at a corner, see he runs like a four or five and it's kind of like, well, he can't keep up with deep receivers, but yeah. how often is the corner chasing a receiver for 40 yards straight yeah. line? I mean, you know, we'll, we're going to talk plenty more about the combine later, so we won't get too much into this, but yeah. Sorry. But who yeah. would you, but who would you rather have? Would you rather would you rather count on Jalen Myrick or Tez Tabor to be your starting cornerback? Yeah, I mean I'll I'll take Tabor every time if exactly. it's between those two. I, I yeah, absolutely. All right, more more NFL rumblings. Uh, the Jets could potentially be looking to trade defensive lineman Sheldon Richardson prior to Thursday when his contract becomes fully guaranteed. Richardson has been, you know, basically a nightmare off the field for the Jets, but when he's on the field, he is one of the more dominant defensive linemen in the league. What kind of value could there be in exchange for Richardson? It's an interesting thing. I feel like his name has been thrown out there almost every year, him or Wilkerson, every year the last few years. And um, I'm sure that the Jets are hoping for, you know, a late first or second, early second round pick. You know, they can't really expect to get a better, like a mid to early first rounder. But, um, you know, and, and Richardson, like you said, his play on the field really speaks for itself. And right now they just don't really need him with Leonard Williams and with a lot of the other, they've got a lot of pieces up front there. It seems like they, the best defensive lineman always seems to fall to them. And yeah. maybe it'll happen again this year with John Allen. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that they can re- realistically expect an early second as a, demand and i'm not sure that they'll get it okay let me ask you this who says no to this trade sheldon richardson and a second round pick to the patriots for garoppolo oh wow probably the patriots if only because that's an interesting trade first of all but they're not really getting a first in that like they're getting a and they're paying richardson if you think about it because he's a free agent next year right if you think you can rein that guy in Sheldon Richardson is an impact player on your defensive line absolutely but I mean I doubt that they they the Patriots trust their ability to find good talent like they probably think they can find the next Sheldon Richardson at 32 anyway oh. so you know I and then the second rounders 
nice and all, but I, I mean, they're getting zero first when they're allegedly demanding too. So um, I, I don't, I don't think the Patriots, especially in division, I really don't think that they give Garoppolo in division. Well, you know, we'll see how much the Patriots actually value that number 32 pick, because if you listen to reports, they offered it to the, to the saints for Brandon cooks and the saints turned them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that is, Again, that kind of surprises me if that's true, but why? man, you imagine what? Why does that surprise you? It surprises me because I am surprised that the Patriots would trade a first rounder for a guy that is going to be a free agent in two years. He's not like long term cost controlled, and I think that you could get a Cooks esque player at thirty two for yeah. without giving up that pick. Fundamentally, I don't disagree with you, but there's something about you could either have a Cooks-esque player, someone who has the potential to be this good, or somebody who definitely is this good. And, you know, the Patriots, they are they are certainly one player away from another Super Bowl. It's tough to say they aren't. So if you can add an impact player at wide receiver and you feel like it gives you a, a 4% chance of being a super, winning next year's Super Bowl, why why the heck not? They're just constantly churning. So, I mean, and part of the churn is keeping those those picks and drafting well and keeping the players in the system and doing the whole Patriot way BS. So, I, I mean, I think that I would be sh- I'd be pretty surprised if they actually offered that for Cooks. But at the same time, if they did, that would be a pretty sweet deal for them. I mean, imagine what Brandon Cooks would do on the outside and in the slot with Tom Brady. Agreed. Uh, right tackle Ricky Wagner is – potentially about to become the highest paid right tackle in football right now uh, when he signs his new deal. The Vikings are a possibility. Uh, the Cleveland Browns have been linked, and there's a number of other teams. Uh, I know it's an issue of of guys being available at the right time, but is, is Ricky Wagner worth making him the highest paid right tackle in football? Who is the highest paid right tackle? I know Bulaga is second. Um, I'm not sure you're the first. Bulaga's making around 10. He's pretty damn good. I, I don't know that I, – I think if the Packers had their druthers, they wouldn't spend $10 million on Bulaga going forward. But, you know, I, there's something to be said about having a rock-solid right tackle. Um, but for a guy that's not even an option at left tackle, like Bulaga could be their left tackle if, if Bakhtiari got hurt for the Packers. So I'm not sure who the number one paid right is, but if he could – if if um, – if Wagner could shift over and give them the versatility that some of these other guys do, then, you know, if it's like 10 or 11 million, 11, 12 million, that's, that's a lot, especially for a team like the Browns that have a thousand other needs, but you know, right, right. Exactly. So they have a lot of money and they're going to be very young for the next four years. So by the time that Wagner's deal expires, you got to think that, um, you know, they're just then going to be signing players, um, from their own system. So I, I I can see a team like the Browns. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I'm not sure. I forgot who you said some of the other teams were. The but Vikings, the Vikings one of the other teams, yeah. That's surprising to me, too, although they badly need an offensive lineman. So to that end, it wouldn't be super shocking. But then the Seahawks, you know, you think about teams that really, really are kind of close that need offensive line help. That's a guy that makes sense in that way. But the Vikings are too close where, you know, that money can really be prohibitive to their chances in the next three, two or three years. Mm. So I'm a little bit insulted right now on Shikana that you're unable to come up with the highest paid right tackle in football. You are correct. Brian Balaga is, is number two. He makes $6.75 million a year. 
it's a great deal. What? I thought it was more than that. I'm looking. I'm I'm looking. I'm looking at overthecap.com, and uh, Brian Balaga Hmm. is is listed as having a deal worth $33.75 million, an average of $6.75 million a year, $8 million guaranteed, and uh, the, the percentage of the contract guaranteed is 23.7%. The highest paid right tackle in the NFL right now, making $11.2 million a year on his contract, is Philadelphia's own Lane Johnson. Oh, Wow. I well, you didn't say it before. So, should I be insulted or should you be insulted? I thought, you know, you're here with the uh, Eagles fan Chris Horwoodell and I would have thought that immediately Lane Johnson comes to mind. I would like to think you Lane Johnson's your first thought in pretty much uh, any area of life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, I, it usually is. This is a, also, yeah, I apologize. Also worth pointing out that uh, Lane Johnson's guarantee is a heck of a lot lower than than any of these other players on the list because uh, of his PED suspension where he forfeited his guaranteed money. So, wow, sucks to be you, Lane. That worked out for everyone. Yeah, except for him. Yeah, had an, had an average guaranteed per year of $4.1 million, and now that is a, a zero followed by more zeros. <laughs> so, and he, Lane Johnson's going to be the next left, left tackle after Peters is gone, so this, number, this contract's uh-huh. not going to look so bad, but yeah, it's a lot right now. Um, I would be interested, you know, you said Cleveland, Cleveland would be interesting. Cleveland, they're clearly making to look, uh, making to look, making to look, looking to make a splash in the free agent market. And, uh, it's interesting because the Terrell Pryor situation, they're, they're really, I think they're really misplaying this. It seems like, it seems like Sashi Brown is doing everything possible to make sure Terrell Pryor leaves the Browns. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're That's offering surprising. it is they're offering him no more than eight million dollars a year. His agent is Drew Rosenhaus, and they are asking for ten to twelve a year. Somebody's probably going to give it to him. Uh, Trail yeah. took down a lot of his uh, of his Brown stuff off of his Twitter today. So while he is still listed as the Cleveland Browns wide receiver, I don't know how much longer that's going to last. But if <clears throat> if I'm Cleveland, weird. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a strange thing. But if I'm Cleveland, you know, I am the two signings. Well, I would say the three signings I'm trying to make at you know 12:01 on March 9th is I, I'm basically calling the agents of Ricky Wagner, of Kevin Zeitler, and of AJ Boye, and I'm saying how much does it take? Hmm, interesting. So, do you think that the whole accumulate draft picks thing hits a dead end this year? Because Obviously, that would even if. Well, all right. It doesn't have to. They're set up for the future because of the moves that they. That's what I'm saying. Will it end? So you're saying they don't necessarily need to accumulate comp picks for next year, or you don't think that's the goal of theirs? I would not be even moderately concerned. First of all, this team is 105 million dollars under the salary cap right now. If their (laughs) thought is let's accumulate comp picks for the 2018 draft, there is something fundamentally (laughs) wrong with what they're doing. This team, especially in the in the situations of you know, like I said, Boye, Zeitler, and and Ricky Wagner, these are young, established players, who are you know amongst the top ten at their position in the NFL. Granted, Boye is a, is considerably smaller sample size than the others. Yeah. But, but if if I can add, you know, Kevin Zeitler and Ricky Wagner to the right side of my offensive line, for a young, growing team, that's a no brainer to me. Yeah, I agree. I think that well. Yeah, I, I 
you know, the Browns' philosophy with this front office has been take as many shots at the dartboard as you can. So, mm-hmm. you know, over two years, this is going to be the second year. Last year was the first. I, I kind of feel like it still flies on in the face of that a little. Like, why give up on Terrell Pryor if that's not your goal to continue to accumulate six? Oh, because I don't think they unless there's some, Unless there's something that they're missing, unless there's something we're missing in the locker room. But, like, you know, Pryor followed Hugh Jackson there, loves Hugh Jackson, seems to actually enjoy playing in Cleveland. Yeah. And, you know, to me, those are the kind of players you want to keep. And especially, like, an exciting player for the fan base. And, mm-hmm. you know, Josh Gordon's going to be gone. Like, he's oh. the one guy on that team, probably. Oh. He's the one guy on their team. That that is interesting. Well, Cole, Corey Coleman's interesting too, but you're right. Yeah, um, sorry. I'm so, sure. I think this is a this is a Moneyball nonsense situation from from Sashi and from Paul Podesto. I think that they've assigned a value to Terrell Pryor, and I think they said you're we think you're worth this much. If you want to sign, great. If not, the market is flooded with wide receivers, and, it's, and somebody's going to. But when you you talk about this is a guy who wants to be in Cleveland, who, you know, has obviously has a history in the state of Ohio, playing at Ohio State. Mm -hmm. He's a fun story turning, you know, quarterback turned into very good wide receiver. Yeah, man, if if it's a question of two million dollars a year, you just give him those two million dollars and move on with your day. Yeah, I I agree. And especially because. You know what we're talking about? They have that much amount of money, hundred million or whatever. But there's a minimum they have to hit too. And yeah. I don't know how they're hitting it without getting a guy like even if you sign Bouye and Zeitler and Wagner, I, I still think that you're short, right? Like I mean, oh yeah, yeah, you have and, to spend eighty five percent of the of the cap. Right, and and here's the other thing, by the way, while we're talking about Bouye, like boy, I, I think that I would rather put that money towards someone like Terrell Pryor than I would to Boye, honestly, just because I'm not sure about him yet. Like, mm. like, yeah, we had one great year. He was amazing. PFF loves him, whatever. But, you know, he still is doesn't exactly have the size, and he doesn't have the sample size. And so I would be concerned. Like, I know that Terrell Pryor can produce, and I know that he enjoys playing there. So mm. it's kind of like what we're talking about with Cousins and Shanahan as far as a fit for an offense where you know – what what the fit is it's not like baseball i mean you can't just toss a player out there and and just know that he's going to be good you know like there it really is a situation where you have to you have a certain culture and a certain scheme fit that help optimize a player's value and i think that this is exactly that situation where hugh jackson's the the person who brings out the most in prior regardless of the quarterback is. Oh, yeah. I, I've said numerous times that I think if you let Terrell Pryor get away from the, from the Browns, that this is one of the colossal mistakes that Sashi Brown's going to make. There's no excuse for a team that's that bad and that, that short on talent to let go of somebody who desperately wants to stay there when you have every means to do so. Yeah. Well, and like you say, if they they are trying, it's not like they've just hung up the phone. They said they drew a line in the sand. They said we will resign you for this amount, and if you don't take it, then just go screw off. You know, like yeah. pound sand. So, I that to me, that two million dollar difference is like, come on, man, incentivize it if nothing else, mm-hmm. right? And get and allow them to get there. So, and, and honestly, yeah. in these so. these free agent contracts, how often do how often do people actually hit what their guaranteed money is? Next to never. 
So who cares what the contract says? Who cares how good it has to look for Drew Rosenhaus to be okay with it? You know, right, these right. Things, these things aren't real numbers. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Just, you it's have just a, the guaranteed money that you matters. Have, you have a guy who wants to be there, keep him there. Uh, look, one of my – one of the people who I respect most in the football world, a guy who I think is a absolute football genius – is Bill Thank Poland. you. Is, yeah, absolutely. Oh. You and Bill Poland. And <laughs> he said something today. Did you hear this? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, so Poland's come out. Poland's come. Yeah, Poland's come out and said that the Colts had a first round grade on Tom Brady coming out of the draft. <sighs> and first of all, complete BS. Just complete and utter BS. There's there's no scenario in which that is true. Because if you have a first-round grade on a quarterback, if he's there in the fourth round, you take him, regardless of who else Absolutely. is on the team. I, oh, I, yeah. I lost a lot of respect here. Do you? What was your reaction when you heard this? I, I mean, I just didn't believe it. I think it's just complete and utter nonsense. So, you know, I, I took it with a grain of salt because it just seems like an old man yells at cloud situation again. You know, <laughs> like... I, I don't mm-hmm. think that it just doesn't, it just, it totally seems like a guy who's trying to make himself relevant. And, and Pullian's name's actually been out there as far as potential like football czar positions. I know yeah. the Bears were linked to him and the Jaguars, I believe, were at one point the Giants. And so, um, you know, I, I uh, yeah, I don't buy that even for a little bit. So, you know, it just seems like a guy who's trying to make himself relevant, but there's obviously no way they had a first-round grade. They probably didn't even have a third-round grade on him. So, I, you know, whatever. There's no way to disprove it, and it's just one of those things that makes you look better than you are. Well, I think the way to disprove it is the fact that they did not draft him in the first 198 <laughs> picks of the draft. <laughs> That's true. Well, here's a question that's sort of interesting regard, well, to me, at least, yeah. based on that. And that's, all right, say you have – a great quarterback. So you have Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. and you have, you do have a first round grade on a quarterback. At what point do you take him given that you have other needs? I think it's fourth round. I think that's it. Okay. So there's a hard stop for you. There's not like a, there's no one even near this guy. There's, there's a difference of a hundred plots on our draft board. That's fair, yeah. and it's going to be situational. And but assuming that there are not now, you you laid out a scenario in which this team has just a myriad of needs. Now, assuming that there's players who fit these needs, then when I would go off board would be the fourth round, regardless. Obviously, it could right. be sooner than that if you know if there aren't players available who fit the criteria of what you're looking for. But yeah, fourth round, sure. regardless, especially for a position that's as valuable as quarterback. If you have a guy who you think is worth taking in the first round and he's there in the fourth round at the quarterback position, I don't care who else is on the board. That's my pick. That's interesting. So the reason I ask is because I think that the Packers had a first-round grade on Brad Humley, and they took him – they traded up to get him in the fourth or fifth round. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there must have been such – and Aaron Rodgers early in his prime. I mean, this is two years ago. Mm. So – and he had, he just got his contract, so there's no real risk there whatsoever. And I just found it really fascinating to me, like, at what position do you t- – I mean, so Rodgers is coming off some injuries, so, like, you know, you want a backup that can potentially win you games, but obviously an asset that you can potentially develop and flip at some point, you'd like to think. 
But it is interesting to me, like, at what point you take a guy like that. And I think that, like, when the, the Bengals took um, took A.J. McCarron, I mean, they obviously think high, more highly of Andy Dalton than most. Mm. But they had their guy, and he's a young quarterback that they spent a first-round pick on and, you know, they've committed a big contract to. And so um, it is interesting to me where these teams say, all right, you know what, we had this guy as a first-round uh, first grade. We had to go ahead and take him here because – it just made no sense to us. Like there's such a different discrepancy between this guy and every other player on our board. So I, I just, I think that'd be really fascinating to see a team's draft board and where they do that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Hunley was the what 11th pick in the, in the fifth round, ironically in a, a selection obtained by the Cleveland Browns. I think Cleveland probably just wishes that they held on to that pick and took Hunley at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and by probably. the way, and for the fifth round, there's an unbelievable run of picks here. You have 146 is the Vikings taking Stephon Diggs, 147 is the Packers taking Brett Hundley, and 149 is the Dolphins taking Jay Ajayi. There you go. Those guys, those are three potential big contributors are definitely all huge assets right now in the NFL. Absolutely, and you've you've told me that you think the asking price for Hundley for another team would be you know multiple first round picks. No, I don't think multiple first. Yeah, you've said I think, multiple first round picks to me, sir. That is no, what you have told no me. I think one first would absolutely get it done for them. Absolutely, there's no way they would do multiple first or require multiple first. I'm gonna I'm gonna find the email in which we discussed Brett Hundley and we'll talk about it okay. <laughs> on the show next week because if there's nothing else that we will do on the show it will be to hold people to their statements. As a right. as a little subset of that, please don't hold me to the things I say. <laughs> yeah, as a slight caveat. A couple more things before we wrap up this uh, NFL free agency edition. We have some, some crazy asking prices. Martellus Bennett's asking for $9 million a year. How close does he get? Oh my God. Well, you know, the, the Cardinals just re-signed Jermaine Gresham today for what? 7 million a year, right? Mm -hmm. Something. I, I mean, lines, if that's, yeah. if that's the case, you got to think that I think Bennett's a year, maybe two years younger or around the same age if, at worst. And, um, and he's better than Gresham. And he's coming off a year where he won a Super Bowl and also played pretty well. Uh, that, um, I'm not going nine, but I would say, you know, seven and a half, eight. That's not, not crazy for Martellus Bennett. If that's what Gresham got, which I believe it is. I could be wrong about that, though. So, again, we've talked about the, the subjective nature of the PFF rankings, but Bennett was the number 10 tight end in the NFL last year, according to Pro Football Focus, and Jermaine Gresham was number 59. So. Wow. Well, yeah, and Bennett can block. That's the other really good thing about. It. I mean, I think they both sort of can, but Bennett is really good. I, I don't think they're on the same level though whatsoever as far as tight end ability. I I could not agree with you more. I'm looking for the the actual contract details. I know he signed a four year deal, and uh, oh, it does not. I'm not seeing a number here immediately. Jermaine Gresham was uh, apparently the number three best run-blocking tight end in the NFL in 2015. So it really feels like we're cherry-picking stats here. But, yeah, yeah. But what are you going to do? Um, more more crazy asking prices. Let's move to the defensive tackle position. And uh, Dontari Poe is asking for $10 million a year. 
That's that sounds about right. Uh, he's I mean, never he's actually one of the done better. anything. <laughs> he's been on the field. Um, talented, big player, and um, you know, former first round pick. Kind of, you know, he's he's. He, what do you mean he hasn't done anything? He's the anchor for a pretty darn really good defense oh, in the middle of the field. I think that do anything. He's big. He I will. Con- I will concede that he's big. I accept that. I mean, that's a non-zero skill or uh, quality to have when you're the nose tackle of a defense. So I think that he's pretty good, I, and I think that he's going to get paid a, quite a bit. I don't know if he'll get paid more than Hankins, who I believe is out there. Um, is Harris? No, Harrison's not. Hankins is out there, though, from the Giants. And, and what's his there's name? one other. The, the guy from the Giants. William. The, the, Hankins, right? No, it's Harrison, Harrison, Damon Harrison. Oh, Damon Harrison's out there. Okay. I and so. um, I might be getting those two confused. Yeah. And uh, Williams hasn't been re-sprained. Williams hasn't been re-signed. He's out there. There are definitely some tackles that are floating around. So I'm not sure that he'll get 10, but, you know, nine. It's, defensive tackle is a huge need for a lot of teams. A lot of teams don't have the guy that can eat space in it. You can get a nose if you're running that three-gap front guy that you might want there to anchor the, the center of your line. So, Dontari Poe in 2016 had 18 tackles. <laughs> Alright, well, what was his... He, you, that, that, is, that is like... PFF grades. What's his PFF grade? That is what? That You're talking about like $600,000 a tackle. Um, let's talk about his PFF oh. grade. His, oh. uh, his pro football focus grade... Oh, I'm just going to have to keep going down further. Ooh, that's not good for my argument. Dontari Poe. Oh, there's Bo Allen. There is uh, Jordan Phillips. There is Damian Square, Christian Covington. Oh, look, there's Dontari Poe at 59. How many ga- How many snaps? Was it close oh, to like a full season's worth? It's close to a full season. He's, there's one game when he only played 12 snaps, but every other game is at least 43. Wow, okay. Well, I could be wrong then. I stand corrected, Chris. <laughs> I just I don't get the dunce. Look, he, it's awesome that he's big and athletic, but I don't I don't think he's anything else. What? You know, he runs in touchdowns. What more could you want? Yeah, no, you're right. You can't just sign B.J. Raji and get the exact same production. Can he you even can. walk anymore? Football. <laughs> yeah, can he even walk? He's anymore? fine. Oh, good. He quit for family reasons. Yeah, I'm sure he would come back if somebody offered him seven million dollars a year. Oh, the Packers did offer him a big gun. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. Well, yeah. I, I yeah, stand that corrected, aren't you, Connor? All right, we're even. Yeah, yeah we are. <laughs> uh, a couple more things real, real quick. No no truth to the reports linking Adrian Peterson to the Patriots, and uh, Oakland and Seattle, interestingly, appear to be the front runners right now. For who? Sorry, who is that Adrian for? Peterson. Ooh, never heard of him. That is interesting, my friend. I do. Do you see the Seahawks? The Seattle Seahawks. Why? That's weird. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I like Rolls and uh, Procise is interesting as well. Yeah, Rolls is fine. They, they're Procise. Yeah, they, they're. That's not going to happen. Um, but it would be very. I think the Raiders are a very interesting team if they lose Latavius Murray to, to yeah. look out for for Peterson. Um, 
I don't think the Packers are going to be involved in that, despite a lot of a lot of conjecture on that. I, I still think that the Patriots make a ton of sense, especially with LeGarrette Blunt gone. Mm-hmm. Um, they might buy their time a little bit, but again, kind of going back to the Brandon Marshall idea, there's a locker room that can support a, a player like Peterson. Um, although he's, I mean, his personality is just as big. It's pretty close. Um, so yeah, I think that they make sense. The Raiders make sense. I'm not sure who else is really out there that makes a ton of sense for him. I mean, we said a couple of weeks ago that Tampa was a favorite in Vegas, but it looks like they're fine with Buck Martin and some of their other backups. And, um, you know, I know that he's mentioned the Giants. They could probably use a star, but they also just spent a second, I believe, on Paul Perkins last mm-hmm. year. Different kind of back, but, you know, they still invested a high pick on him. So. And, again, this is coming – in the shadows or, or as a prereq or as a precursor to a, a draft that's about as good at running back as we've seen in the last five or 10 years. So um, I'm not sure that Peterson's going to get what he thinks he's going to get. And there's a lot of free agent options as well. This is absolutely true. He seems like a guy who is going to be available for a while. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And that's why I think the Patriots will be lurking. And then when the right time strikes, they'll, they'll strike. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is the Rams are apparently aggressively shopping cornerback Tremaine Johnson, who they have franchised. And uh, again, you know, Cleveland has been uh, has been linked to them, but they're trying. It seems like they're trying to get rid of this guy. Would you be surprised at all if he's traded under the franchise tag? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I'd be surprised since the rumors are out there. But if you if I hadn't known about them, then yeah, I'd be shocked. They lost, this is a team that lost Norris Jenkins last year. They don't really have a lot of size on the outside. I mean, they've got um, the floors, LaMarcus Joyner's there, but there's not, you know, they, they've done a good job of developing corners. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that this makes a lot of sense. Min Johnson is a big, young player that makes a lot of sense for them to retain. It's not like they're hurting for money right now. Um, they can afford to pay him the franchise this year. But, you know, if they think they can get a first-round pick for him and take a different corner, then that might make sense. I'm not sure what they're looking for, but that seems to be about what his asking price would be, right? Like a first-round pick? That absolutely seems right for a big, talented, established cornerback. Uh, so I thought we are going to end it there, but one last thing that has to be discussed that I'm just seeing right now, and uh, hmm. more draft-related. Are you familiar with a uh, beat writer by the name of Bob McGinn on Shukana? I am. He wrote a very interesting article last Sunday. Well, Bob McGinn, Packers beat writer, spoke to an NFL scout who drew comparisons between Western Michigan wide receiver Corey Davis and who, aren't you? I I read the article. I'm not sure who who was Jordan Matthews. Jordan I, that's what Matthews. I said earlier. Yeah, that's your guy. You said it. You said it, uh, what, two weeks ago. You, I, know you were I, said, I know I said it. That's why I'm concerned. Yeah. Right, well. well, that's why I love him. My, I, I'll tell you this. Yeah. If Corey Davis was even remotely in the range of the Packers where they could trade a third and move up and get him, I would jump at that. If Look, if Mike Williams is off the board, I don't hesitate for a second to pick Corey Davis if I'm Philadelphia at 14, who – Thank God is is picking fourteen, not fifteen, as they won won the coin toss over the Colts yeah. the combine, which is very which is very big if you're talking about one of the running backs slipping and if Philadelphia's interested because the Colts are def, definitely in the market for a running back and uh, getting ahead of them is interesting and it's also interesting in terms of trades if somebody wants to jump up and get you know Cook or 
I think it's unlikely Fournette's there, but you know, maybe who knows? Yeah. So it's possible. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, oh god, we're gonna, so much more we're gonna have to talk about when we're back here next week. Free agency will be mm-hmm. five days in. There's gonna be plenty of signings, official, not this uh, this rumor nonsense that we're we're going <laughs> about today. Just muckraking. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. This has been the Deepish Thoughts Podcast, episode number 16. I'm Chris Horwardell. He's on Shukana. We'll see you back here next Wednesday.